0: All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to in them to Genesis chapter 4 if you will. Genesis chapter 4 as we pick it up here in our series In His Image in a message entitled Fully Fallen. Fully Fallen. Today we begin with a story of two brothers. The first and second sons of Adam and Eve. And it is apparent already that sin is already taking its toll upon mankind. We clearly see the effect of sin are in full play. However, there's still more to this story. Contained within it, we see that there are individuals, one who will try to approach God on their own terms and one who will do it in the manner in which he's proscribed for them to come. It is also important that we see how Cain, the one who chose to approach God his own way, reacts to God's rejection of the offering in which he brought. And today, for history is still in which we read in the story playing out as it continues to play out in our culture today. When I say fully fallen, I'm talking about the effects of sin upon a person's life. Theologically, it's called the depravity of man. And the Bible acknowledges and teaches that as a result of the fall here in Genesis, that every part of man, his mind, will, emotions, flesh, have been corrupted by sin. In other words, sin affects all areas of our being, including who we are, and what we do. It is the sin that has distorted the image in which Christ, or God initially created us. It is due to this reason that it has penetrated every aspect to our very core of our being, has been tainted by sin, and therefore God says that all of our works before Him are like filthy rags. Sin is serious before God. As Genesis 3, 6, we saw the fall when, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And this is where it all went downhill afterwards. In Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all like unclean things. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags; we all fade as a leaf, and our in, in uh, excuse me our iniquity, like the wind, have taken us away. Jesus said it this simply: so every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a, a bad tree bear good fruit. I am convinced that one of Jesus' favorite authors was Dr. Seuss. I think I'm going to write my doctorate on that, okay? Now, depravity doesn't mean that man is as wicked or as sinful as he could be. Nor does it mean that man is without a conscience or any sense of right and wrong. Neither does it mean that man does not or cannot do the things that seem good when viewed from a human perspective or measured against a human standard it does not even mean that man cannot do things that seem to conform outwardly to the law of God but what the Bible does teach is that what depravity does recognize is that even the good things that man does are tainted by sin because they are not done for the glory of God and out of faith in him Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 17.9. He said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. And then the psalmist went on in Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb, They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. Now, when the world is confronted with this reality, this biblical theology, they immediately object. No, 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 no. Believing that man is inherently good, born inherently good. In fact, you'll find that in most religions, in psychology, in philosophical circles, that the nature of man is basically good. And of course, then you get into the argument of nature or nurture, which one spoils or creates the evil that we see today. Or if you read Aristotle or the famous philosopher John Locke, they believed in something that was called tabula rasa, which means a blank slate in Latin. That every single person born is born with a blank slate. And what they do after they are born is what contributes to that slate, either good or bad. This is the foundation of the understanding of the nature of man when it comes to the Islamic faith. That man is basically born with a blank slate. However, though, the Bible says differently that each and every one of us was born into sin, and that sin was already fully developed. Even here in our text, the very first uh, son and second son of Adam and Eve are already shown as fully fallen before God. While man looks upon the outward acts and judges them to be good, God looks upon not only the outward, but the inward motivations that lie behind them. And because they proceed from a heart that is in rebellion against Him, and they are not done for His glory, even these good deeds are like filthy rags. So the heart of the matter is the heart. And this is what Christ is seeking, your heart. The Bible tells us that God says, I'll take that heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. In the New Testament, it says, circumcise your heart, the foreskin of your heart towards God. And this is done in and through the incredible work of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we begin now as we look at our text and introduce you to the first offspring of Adam and Eve known as Cain and Abel. Look at me with me in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That'd be interesting, huh? The first pregnancy, the first child born. You can see Adam coming home from work. Steps in, looks at his wife from the profile and says, Hmm, she must have found a high you know, carb tree out there. She's putting on a little weight. But lo and behold, after nine months, the child is born. She names it Cain. Look what I have acquired. I have acquired a man from the Lord. That is significant. We'll look at that in a moment. But then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. It wasn't very long until after Cain was born, the second child becoming due, that she realized that the consequences of her sin were now translating to her children. For Cain, his name in the Hebrew means acquired by the Lord. She possibly believed that this was the fulfillment of the promise that God gave in what is known as the Proto-Evangelium which means one of the earliest revelations of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Of course, that is speaking than none other than Jesus himself. But without a doubt, she thought Cain was that person, but quickly realized that he wasn't. So when Abel was born, his name means vanity or emptiness. How would you like to carry that around with you? But she realized that these were not going to be the fulfillment of the promise of God. And it is also evident that sin is clearly at play. Notice with me in chapter 4 verse 3. And in the process of time, so time has passed past, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, of the, their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, the book of Hebrew tells us why one was accepted and the other one was rejected. It's because Abel brought his on the basis of faith. In Hebrews eleven four, 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. The offering that Cain, I'm sorry, that Abel offered that was accepted by God was given to God on the basis of faith, but it also was the sacrifice itself. Notice in Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. what it means is there is no remission of sin for the, uh, apart from the shedding of blood. That's what he means there. Now, some argue that Cain simply didn't offer his grain offering by faith, and that's what God rejected. Now, they, they conclude that by the law that is later written by Moses, that certain grain offerings were offered and accepted by God at certain times of the calendar year, and that's true. But here, in our text, prior to the Mosaic law being given, the example that Adam and uh, Eve gave was the example that they experienced and demonstrated in Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Again, In the very beginning, in the very first sacrifice given, it was a sacrifice of the animals to allow for the tunics to be made to cover Adam and Eve. At this point, it would be reasonable to conclude that Cain and Abel both realized that it was that type of offering that God required. And that's true later, grain offerings were accepted at certain times of the year. As one wrote, he says, He brought the firstborn of his flocks, that is, Abel, saying in effect that the Lord deserves the best. Abel's offering points forward to the substitutionary death of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But because of the rejection that God gave Cain, or spoke to Cain, Cain became very, very angry. And I want you to think about that for a moment. But before we move forward, let me say that today there are two types of people in this world. There are like those who are of Cain, and there are like those who are of Abel. And let me explain to you what the difference is. There are those like Cain who believe that they can approach God in whatever manner that they choose to approach God. Meaning that God's going to accept them no matter how they approach Him, through whatever means they approach Him. And often this is talked about or identified by this statement there are many roads that lead to heaven, thinking that there is an alternative means by which a person can get into heaven and eternal life. Or they'll say more specifically, there are many roads that lead to god now i agree with that there are many roads that lead to god and those roads are wide and those roads lead to him and at the end of those roads they will discover that every knee shall bow every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord but then it's too late For there's only one road, a narrow road to heaven, and that is in and through the person of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And you say, well, that's awful narrow-minded. It is, but it's based on a really good source, (laughs) Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Paul the Apostle later echoed that statement for there is one mediator between man and Christ and that is Je- uh, man and God and that is Jesus Christ. There's one way to heaven. Oh, there are many ways to God, but there are truly one, only one way to heaven. In our postmodern world, we want to believe that we can approach God in whatever haphazard manner we choose to approach Him reducing and neglecting the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on our behalf. And this illustrates for us the difference between Christianity and all of the religions of the world apart from Him. In Genesis 4-5, notice with me again, but He did not respect. That means God did not consider or accept the offering of Cain And as a result, Cain's countenance fell. He became angry, bitter, depressed before the Lord. Now, the Lord could have just squashed him at this point, right? Oh no, I ain't having that. Yeah. Abel, you are now an only child. Okay? But notice what God does in verse 6. Talk about grace. So the Lord said to Cain, I don't know. You know, it's like, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain just come the right way. God didn't exclude him. God invited him. He said, just come, I'll accept yours if you do it the right way. You come also and do well, and will you also not be accepted? That's the way it's phrased in the Hebrew. But, and if you do not do well, please know that sin lies at the door. You're on a slippery slope, Cain. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Or as I like to say, this is your appointment with God. This is it. You can go one of two ways. You can come to me through the manner in which I have prescribed, or you can start down the endless slippery slope of sin. That term lies is like a lion crouched waiting to pounce upon its prey. I think of Peter when he says that Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking in whom he may destroy. Sin is at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it, master it. You don't have to subject yourself to it. If I may paraphrase or put it in you know vernacular that we can all, you don't have to go there, our King. You don't have to come to me, because God knew that the slope of slit, the sin will quickly take you and spiral you out of control. So many people's lives that we see from our perspective are being destroyed and we think it's all of the various elements of the world when in actuality it is the sin of the heart that leads them down various paths. We are not sinners because we sin, we are sinners because we have a nature of sin that needs to be dealt with, that can only be dealt with in and through Jesus Christ we have to be born again. We have to be changed from the inside, and only God can do that for us. Only God can do that for us. Oh, we might try our self-righteousness, but that is literally trying to bandage our lives with duct tape. Now, I know duct tape is one of the things that God created on the seventh day. I'm convinced of that. Along with Lou Malnati's, okay, pizza, you know, And duct tape is excellent. I mean, if anything else fails, you can always run to the duct tape, right? I remember my buddy, and uh, after uh, we graduated high school, him and I were saved, and we were going to church together, and one day from work, I called him, I said, hey, coming coming over after work to pick me up, and we'll go out, and, you know, we'll have some fun, we'll paint the town red, we'll get ice cream, or Christians, what else were we going to do, you know? He goes, Yeah, but I'm working on my car right now. I'm doing some body work. I said, Oh, what are you doing? Doing some Bondo? Well, okay, well, uh, he kind of you know, spun and just kind of drifted off. I said, Okay, well, finish up and get over here and pick me up. He goes, All right, I'm on my way. I'll meet you at your house. So I got to home, took a shower, stood outside waiting for him to pick me up, and he's coming down the street, and as he pulls up alongside of me, his definition of bodywork was an endless supply of duct tape over the entire car. He had one of those station wagons with the wood, fake wood panel on the outside. I mean, I mean, we were, we were something back then. And he had these, and they didn't even go straight. They were up and down, diagonal, it was like... We're going to be single forever, pal, if we keep driving around to this. All right? But duct tape isn't going to do it. We can't fix ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. Cain, please. It's almost as he's appealing and inviting him. Please, but if not, sin's lying at your door, Cain. But you should rule over it. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain made his decision. Cain took the way that God warned him not to take. Cain was obviously overwhelmed with anger and bitterness and depression, and may I say jealousy. As one called it, the green-eyed monster. The envy that crept up in Cain's heart due to what his brother had had between God. But when we are overwhelmed by sin, please know that first there is no temptation that we can't resist. God will always give us a way of escape. And number two, that in the Spirit of God we can resist temptation. And even when we get angry, at times we get angry, don't we? I wish we could say that we were totally free from the old life, but that's just not true yet, is it? And unfortunately, we're in that dual state where the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. But Paul went on to say that if you, you know, feed the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Or I might say, excuse me, if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have choices and we can make a choice rather than to be overwhelmed by sin and to commit that sin and give into that sin. We can do other things. We can make other choices. For example, we can choose to put on the garment of praise for when the, our spirit is heavy within our heart. Look with me in Isaiah 61.3. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty from ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, not allowing these emotions to carry us into sin. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I love what Paul writes, and he gives us three here that we can choose. We can choose to rejoice in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. I love that. It's a great memory verse, two words. You should get a gold star in your church chart. We can choose to pray without ceasing. For the Bible says, pray without ceasing. We can choose to give thanks in everything. As Paul went on to say, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or one of my favorites when I am faced with a, a point of reality like this, when emotion is overwhelming. Paul writes this in Philippians 4 8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. Hey, when you get fired up, and you get angry, maybe you're like me, you have wonderful devotions. You get up early in the morning, you have great devotions with God. You pray, oh Lord, he speaks to you through his word. And then you get in your car. And sometimes I'm convinced that Satan lives in my car. And then I get out on the road, And then I'm convinced that everyone is demon-possessed. Okay? People have enough trouble driving, let alone driving, while uh, texting on their phones, doing their makeup, eating breakfast, and putting on uh, and um, reading the paper. And I've seen them do it all three or four at one time. And they cut you off and they swerve. What is this propensity? I'm in the right lane and then I get two feet before the intersection and I want to turn left. Or they're in the left lane, all of a sudden they want to turn right, and I'm the one always behind them. It's like, dude, just make up your mind. You know, and and then you're like, you know, or someone, you know, cuts you off, and then they give you this certain hand gesture. Do I have to spell it out? Okay. They're pointing up, but with the wrong finger. Okay. And it's like, it's not my fault. I'm driving here. I'm doing the speed limit. I want to get home before it gets dark because I can't see at night. You know, I'm old. And you cut me off. You, you flip me the, uh, the high s- five sign, kind of, and you get mad at me. The anger starts brewing, right? You just want to really see how fast your car is. How many of you are tempted when someone's tailgating you to step on the brakes? Yeah, yeah, me too, brother. Thank you for not me being alone. But notice with me, there are choices that we can make. We don't have to go there. David said it this way in Psalm 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. I you mean, know, I'm going to get through this. Help, the help of my continence and my God. Meaning, In the Hebrew, God is aware of what I'm going through, He knows what I'm dealing with, and He's with me through it, and I will praise Him. The Septuagint reads that Cain, if you were to offer correctly, will it not be accepted? You will do well, and you will avoid these things. James reminds us in James 1.15, That when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully full grown, brings forth death. If you want to control sin in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, deal with it when it's a desire. Bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Hey, practically, stay away from places that are going to cause you to stumble, right? You don't need to go there. If you struggle with drinking, don't pull into a, uh, a liquor store saying, I just want to see how strong I am. Really? It's more demonstrating how stupid you are, you know. Run from sin. Get out of there. Again, God told us from the very beginning that he was going to provide a way and the sacrifice that Abel brought was a demonstration That it's only through the remission, uh, only by blood, that we can find the remission of sin. In fact, Cain actually contradicted the one instruction that God had given him to be fruitful and multiply. God's uh, Cain subtracted from that by killing his brother Abel. Notice with me in verse nine of our text. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where is Abel, your brother?" Sound familiar? Adam and Eve, where are you? Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? There it is. The sarcasm. In the Hebrew, I can't definitively argue for this, but I really believe this is the first example of the rolling back of the eyes. I don't know. God, yeah. I can't do it. Autumn, can you help me do it so well? No. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? Of course, God already knew. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is, too, is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. The very first result of this sin was the separation from God. And that's what we need to realize is that it is our sin that separates us from a holy God. And nothing we can do can bridge that separation. As much as we would like to believe or hope so, or think that our good will outweigh our bad when it all comes down to it, there's nothing we can do to bridge that divide. But someone came on our behalf to do that very thing for us. To break down that wall of separation. And that was seen after Christ's crucifixion when the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, demonstrating and proclaiming to everyone that a way has been made to God the Father through Jesus Christ, and that we no longer have to be separated, we no longer have to be isolated, we no longer have to be cast away. If we come, we can once again have that relationship with God. In verse 15, and the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain. We don't know what that mark is or what it was. Lest anyone finding him should kill him. God said, Nope, no one will touch you. But you are now suffering the penalty of the sin in which you have committed. The conviction that God brings about should lead us not to remorse, that is simply regret over what we have done, with no real thought of change, but it should lead us to repentance where we come before God humbly, we confess our sins, and allow Him to restore us. As John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This was a clear case of remorse and not that of repentance. For godly sorrow, the Bible says, produces repentance, and Cain was not repentant. In Jude, it warns us not to go the way of Cain. The way of Cain is basically the rejection of salvation through the blood of a sacrificial victim, and of course, that is Jesus Christ who became for us what we could not become, and did for us what we could not do. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And Jesus said that anyone who comes to him, he will by no means cast any away. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sins you've committed. Jesus Christ can deal with them and take care of them and restore your relationship to God the Father today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that God has come to seek those who were lost. Jesus said very clearly, for I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. I don't know about you, but in this church in 2024, with God continuing us, allowing us to be here, I want to see as many people saved as possible, don't you? Does anybody here n- not know someone who isn't saved? Raise your hand if you don't know someone who isn't saved. Okay, Nathan, put your hand down. I know you have three friends on Facebook, and they're your mom, brother, and dad. Okay. Okay. That being said, guys, we have a lot of work ahead of us to share the love of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, notice with me, and we'll close with this before we have communion together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away, for behold, all things have become new. And that's what you can experience today a fresh start in Jesus. And you can leave here today knowing that if anything were to happen, that you know that you would enter into his presence in glory in heaven for all eternity. Amen?